Shabbat Shalom. If you wouldn't mind turning in your Bibles to Romans, I'm going to read uh, chapter 2, verses, um, I believe, 1 through t- 11. You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. First the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. For the good word that I know is coming, I'm excited because I believe that the Lord wants to speak to us. And folks, this is an area where I've seen people break their teeth over and over and over and over again. And if, if you're one of the folks who especially has a hard time with that, um, with, with what was read, just would you welcome the Lord to come in and talk to you big time and say, Lord, I really need to hear from you. So let's do that. Lord God, we, uh, we bless you and thank you for, for how you do speak to us, especially, Lord, in the tender areas where we struggle and have fits and sometimes fail. And Lord God, in, in this area of how we relate to one another, we ask, Lord God, that you would pour out a special measure of your grace upon us, Lord God, that we would be receptive to hear from you and uh, to gladly receive your word and that your word would lodge deeply within us and bear much fruit. And we ask, Lord God, for transformation to take place in our life, individually and corporately. In the name of Yeshua. Amen. So, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Back when I was living in, uh, I was living in Virginia after, after college, and uh, in my early 20s, I had a friend there who was uh, my senior by maybe 10, 15 years, and he had three kids. And his, at the time, his, his youngest was a girl. She was about 16, 17 years old. And about that time, she, um, she started, uh, I don't know what you call it, but you know, she was flirting, talking with, whatever you want to call it, with a guy who I actually knew. He was a friend of a friend of mine, lived with a friend of mine. He was also in his mid-20s, you know, 25 years old. And the 16, 17-year-old girl started flirting with him and they were kind of, you know, had this little thing, whatever you want to call it, going on. And my, the guy that I knew that was 10, 15 years older than me, 
Suffice it to say, he and his wife were not too happy about that, you know, being involved with, a, with you know, this older guy, and she's in 10th, 11th grade. They, um, <coughs> my friend and his wife went out of town for a weekend, and this girl uh, got in her car and went and spent the weekend with this, with this 25-year-old guy. And uh, as a result, they became really good friends. Now, as a result, she got pregnant. 16, 17 years old. Um, prior to this, um, this guy, this 25-year-old guy, he, had, uh, he was a believer, and he said, you know, uh, I feel that God's calling me to Bible school. Now, this is in Virginia. He said the Bible school is out in Texas, out in, in the Houston area. He was called to go to the Bible school. Well, the father of this girl said, okay, that's, that's nice. Um, you know what? Plans have changed now. Uh, you know, there's other Bible schools, but I don't think Texas is in your future. I think it is, the guy said. Really was convinced that that's where God wanted him. Now, again, I knew this guy. He wasn't my best friend, but I was an acquaintance with him because he had a mutual friend that he lived with. And, and, and I read him the riot act. You know, everyone, you, need, you know, this is, you got this girl pregnant, and you, what, you're just going to go to Texas and leave her here with this, all this kind of stuff. And uh, unmoved... Guy went off to Texas to Bible school and um, left this guy that I knew and his wife to see this 16, 17-year-old through pregnancy all on her own. Um, he didn't have the kind of insurance that could cover maternity for a 16, 17-year-old. And he, needless to say, was a big financial burden on, on his family as well as the emotional turmoil that it took on on him and, and this girl and her other two, uh, two siblings. So, you know, the baby came, which they do. I can attest to, they always, they always do. And uh, <laughs> baby came, and uh, baby was happy, healthy. You know, baby's 17, 18 years old today. And uh, my friend, Ray, you know, supported this girl. She lived at home, and he paid for everything. Two years later, this 25-year-old kid... Graduated from Bible school and starts talking to the girl again. Asks her to marry him. She's excited. She's 19. Wants to have the traditional, have a family with this, with this guy. Um, nobody else was very excited about that, really. You know, all the thoughts started coming up, and you know, I, I was angry with the guy. Who do you think you are? You can just come in here and waltz in and you know, and, and just take her away and so forth. And, and the, the mother didn't want to talk. The mother didn't come to the wedding. You know, a lot of people did not come to this wedding. The wedding happened. Um, the father, though, the father of this girl, he went to the wedding. He attended the wedding. He took a little different route than the rest of us took. Showed a little more grace and mercy in this case and attended the wedding. Now, up until that point, um, you know, I, I, again, I, I had interacted with this young man. Um, again, we weren't the best of friends, but we had mutual friends. I saw him and so forth. But that was 18 years ago. I, I don't know much about the guy now. I don't know what he's doing. Really don't know anything about him, okay? Haven't talked to him. But, uh, you know, years later, I can have sort of the uh, freedoms, I guess you would say, to reflect on this situation, and I was thinking about the situation this past week, and I, and I was thinking, you know, was I right um, in terms of giving this guy a hard time the way I did? 
Um, in other words, was I justified in my position of, of telling him he was wrong, he shouldn't have left, all the things that are surrounding there. You know, was I right in telling him that stuff? Uh, we, can all, we can give our opinions. Technically, I'd say, sure, I guess I was, I mean, maybe I was, I was okay to do that. But, but more, more than that, I started thinking, you know, what did my, my anger and my indignation that I showed him at the time, what fruit has that produced? And all I can come up with, really, is that, like I said a minute ago, I don't know, you know, haven't talked to him for 20, nearly 20 years now, have had no relationship with, with him for, for 20 years. And again, not that it was a, a good relationship necessarily, um, but I, you know, I don't know what he and this girl are up to or anything. I mean, a little bit because we have Facebook, of course, but, <laughs> but in general, I, I don't have a real relationship. I don't call that a real relationship. But as I'm reflecting on this, what became more evident to me is looking at the at the the alternate fruit from the way the father uh, dealt with his daughter, and he dealt with this situation. And I can say that the father, to this day, even from that point, 18 years ago, up until now, he's had this ongoing relationship with his daughter, with the son-in-law. He's got a relationship with this granddaughter. He's again, he's you know graduated high school. Uh, they had a son along the way after they got married. He's got this, you know, he's got these grandkids and this daughter, and, you know, he's, he's had this relationship with them uh, all this time. And, and I learned, I think, something through, through observing this, through this, through this event. And there's a lot, of, it's a tangled web, okay, there's a lot of things involved there, but I think the thing that stands out is that um, I believe that that father's mercy, that the way he dealt with the situation, the goodness that he showed, uh, broke down walls of hostility. It ultimately kept the family together. It ultimately did, again, with the, with the, with the perspective I have now. Um, now, as I was telling that story, I don't suppose to assume to know how anyone in here felt as I was telling that story. It's a true story. <laughs> um, maybe some of you, if you would be willing to admit, your blood was boiling a bit at some point in there. I don't know. Uh, maybe um, some of you wandered for a minute and thought of some very creative justice that you might have served and things you might have done in this situation, how you might have uh, orchestrated things somehow, I don't know. And also maybe some of you were even a bit softened when you hear of the, of the father's reaction and his more mild approach to this, to this situation. I don't know. But the passage that, that, that Stephanie read and the passage that we're looking at today in Romans, I think really speaks to this idea of learning to understand that ultimately goodness does trump judgment, which is what I entitled the, the message today. It ultimately defeats judgment. And not only is that true from a, a practical standpoint, we can look at it in a story like this, and you know, other stories may be different, but not only does it, does, I think is that the truth, and I think this passage bears out that that's the truth, that uh, it needs to be the truth. It needs to be the truth that, that goodness does trump judgment. You know, Paul begins this, this section in chapter 2 by talking about a person who is, it says, without excuse or has no excuse. And who's he referring to? Well, if you read, you know, we, 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 were, we were in chapter 1 last week. We didn't look at the whole chapter. But this ties into a couple of verses uh, beyond where we were last week. <clears throat> this person that is without excuse here in chapter 2 that person in chapter 1 that I think he's sort of tying this together with was the person who knew about God, you know, that had no excuse to say, I don't know about God, because of 
what's known in theology as, as general revelation. You know, the sun, the moon, the stars that Psalm 19 talks about speak of God's handiwork. And nobody's without excuse when they see these things. And that's who the person without excuse was in chapter 1. This person that, that knows that God exists because of all this stuff in nature, but yet still opposes God and, and tries to suppress that reality and lives in a way as if there is no God. Now, in chapter 2, the person without excuse is the one who has gone beyond that understanding, that general understanding of, of God to what's called uh, particular or uh, special revelation. These are things like history, but more, more, more specifically than that, these are things that uh, we learn from the Word of God, the, the inspired Word, the Scriptures. That's, what they, that's what's known as special revelation, and that's who the people who are without excuse are here in chapter 2. Um, and because this is the stuff where, you know, it goes beyond knowing who God is. You know, we can look at things in nature and know who God is, but then there's the, it doesn't tell us the details about how God interacts with us. It doesn't tell us the details about how, you know, salvation and all these, and what his plan in history is. So that's where, that's where this, this uh, special or particular revelation comes in. Um, in. In chapter two, these are the ones he's talking to. To this end, these are the people that it says here in verse 2 that these are the ones that know that God's judgment is in accordance with the truth. So they, they know beyond God. They know what his word says. They know what his truth is. And they know that his judgment is in line with that truth. And this is where I would say most, if not all of us in this room are right now. In other words, we know there's God. And we don't, most, I, don't, I don't think anybody here is doubting that. And, and most of us are on a track where we not only know God exists, but we look at his word. We take his word seriously. We read it seriously. We're humbled to know him. We're excited to learn more about him. And we're excited to, you know, learn more truths so that we can serve him. But, you know, I think what happens often over time is that that initial humility, that initial thankfulness, that initial gratitude that we have, that, hey, we know God and we have his word and we find out what he's about and what he wants us to do, that initial thankfulness uh, and gratitude um, turns to pride. And that pride is just pride in, in knowledge. And the Bible talks about this, that pride and knowledge puffs us up a bit. It can. <clears throat> so that thankfulness turns to pride. And then that pride turns to impatience. You might say impatience with what? And as Chaim would say, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> impatience in terms of getting frustrated. Other people haven't come to the same conclusions you have about certain things. Specifically when it comes to the truth, quote-unquote, the, the Word of God, the Scriptures, God's plan, and so forth. So that, that initial humility and gratitude and thankfulness turns to pride, and that pride turns to impatience. That impatience then, then turns to what Paul's talking about here, uh, which is judgment. And ultimately that, that is evil. If we're not careful, we end up where, where Stephanie read there in verse 5. She said, but by your hard heart and your impenitent, or your hard and impenitent heart... In other words, you're, you're unforgiving. That word impenitent just means your heart that's not willing to forgive. But by your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's ju righteous judgment will be revealed. So Paul's point in these first three verses in chapter 2 um, are, are, are really, well, there are a couple things. They're, they're a bit of a reality check. If you read uh, what people write about this passage most of them will say, you know, this is um, Paul calling out uh, hypocrites, you know, people that say one thing, do another, pointing their finger at, you know, one person when really they're doing the exact same things. And yes, he is pointing out hypocritical behavior here. But beyond that, what I want to really focus on 
is that he's talking about judgment. Judgment uh, in the sense that um, just how out of line it is for us to judge. And the word in, in the word judge here, the word for judge, when you look in the language, it's used, and probably the same in your Bible, because the word's pretty straightforward, judge or judgment or judging, uh, at least six times. Six times in three verses. You're going to see it six times there within three verses. Judgment. So I think that's a focus of, what he, of one thing he's trying to say here, so I want to talk about that for a minute. Um, judgment in the, in, the, in the sense of how the New Testament uses it, the language there, it's not some foreign concept to us. It's pretty much the way we would use the word judgment uh, with a few nuances I want to I talk about. From a real basic standpoint, judgment can be something as simple as you know, making a distinction. You know? I like that shirt. I don't like that shirt. You know, this kind of thing. I like that one over that one. I like th- that kind of thing. Making a judgment over two things. And then it goes over to more of a legal understanding of judgment, this idea that uh, you're judging, making a decision, and that decision carries with it consequences in a sentence that then is, is meted out. That's the kind of judgment, um, really, that's being used here by Paul in, in the legal sense. In other words, he's accusing this opponent that he's talking to. And if you read this, you might, if you read this whole section, chapter 1 and 2, it's, you see this in Paul. He does it in, in chapter 7, too, where he has kind of these um, sometimes imaginary arguments, you know. You say, who's he talking to? And everyone wants to talk about, who's he talking to? Um, it's called diatribe, real fa- you're real, if you're interested to know the literary style. You see it other places, Book of James has it, other places have that. But this person that he's talking to, he is basically uh, saying that, the, that they're judging in the sense of sentencing someone to punishment, okay? And when you look at judgment in the Bible, when you look at it, New Testament, Old Testament, the corresponding words in, in the Old Testament, um, that stand, when, when it's that kind of judgment that, you know, beyond just a choosing, but a judgment that leads to a sentence, that's, that falls under uh, the umbrella of, of God's sovereignty. Clearly under, you know, that God is the one who ultimately uh, meets out that kind of judgment, that kind of punishment that goes with it. And that's the issue that Paul's bringing out here. He says in, in verses 1, if you want to follow along with me, I'm going to read verse 1 and 3 again. Verse 1 says, Therefore you have no excuse, whoever you are, uh, when you judge others, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, are doing the very same things. Verse 3 says, Do you imagine, whoever you are, that when you judge those who do such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? In similar fashion, uh, in the book of James, uh, chapter 4 and verse 11, you don't have to flip there, I'll, I'll read it for you. It says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers and sisters. Whoever speaks evil against another or judges another speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. So who then are you to judge your neighbor? What Paul and James are are speaking about here, and the point that I think Paul wants to get across and I want to leave you with, is uh, that... This is, a, this is the issue of infringing upon God's authority, this idea, this, this type of judgment. Um, you know, believers are called to restore one another in love, and that will undoubtedly involve some level of judging or making distinctions. We see that uh, in the Gospels, we see Corinthians, other places, even in James we'll see it as well. But the ultimate arbiter in the dispenser of the results of judgment, that's an area upon, you know, that really is God's, and that's an area that we as humans really should not tread at all. Um, Verse 4, though, as we get down to verse 4, 
verse 4 is really what grabbed my attention in this section when I, when I was reading this and decided that, that this is what I was going to speak about this week. Verse 4 is really what grabbed me initially. So I'm going to read that to you again. It's broken into two little, two little phrases. Most of your Bibles probably have it into two phrases, either period, question mark, or commas, or something. But here's verse 4. It says, Or do you despise the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Do you not realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? So let's look at those in their little sections there. In the first one, I'll call that 4A, four, four first half of verse 4. 4A four says, Do you despise the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Like, do you hate it? Do you hate, do you hate that it's so deep, these things of his, his kindness, forbearance, and patience? You know, Paul is suggesting that those who judge others and want others to get what they think they should get, what they got coming to them, are ultimately showing contempt for God's mercy. That's what it means. They basically are saying, I hate, I despise God's mercy um, when these people don't get what I think they should get. And when we do that, what we're doing is we're ultimately, we are turning the tables on God. We're putting ourselves in the position of God and deciding whether or not we think he's properly dealing with stuff. You know? Now, despising the, the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience. We're not supposed to hate those things, are we? Kindness, for who wants to hate kindness, forbearance, and patience? But Paul says that's what we're doing here. Now, in fact, those things are part of the ongoing life of, of a believer. I've used a couple of theological terms today, general revelation, specific revelation. This one's called sanctification. The idea that as you, you grow in your faith, you walk with God, you, you're, you're walking in sanctification. These are marks of what your life should exhibit if you're, if you're walking uh, with God. Um, you often hear them referred to as the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 has a few of them there. It talks about the fruit of the Spirit against your flesh, basically, and in, up in, in when compared with what you would do with your flesh or the flesh wants to do, the spirit walks in these kind of things, love, patience, forbearing, long-suffering, you know, uh, self-control, gentleness. And ultimately, this is what Paul's been speaking about in chapter 1. We, we talked last week about the, you know, these things in chapter 1. When you read chapter 1, this is what Paul's been speaking about, these things that, that he's saying uh, you despise about God. In other words, it's, it's, it's God's gracious attitude towards sinners, which is, the gospel, which is what Paul has started talking about here uh, in chapter 1. That's the, the power of God to salvation that we talked about in, in Romans 1.16 last week. This is where God's righteousness is revealed. You see that word used a lot, and everyone wants to argue about God's righteousness all throughout Romans. I mean, you read any things on Romans, you're going to see people going to figure out, what's Paul, what righteousness, what wrath, what, you know, what, uh, what judgment, who's he talking to in, in righteousness? What's, what kind of righteousness? What's, is it the righteousness of God? Is it the righteousness that God has? I mean, what is it? All this stuff. But, you know, this can, this can fairly be uh, equated with what we call in our congregation, in Hebrew, chesed, God's righteousness, which is part of the gospel, power of God to salvation, his chesed. And it was mentioned today uh, as well. I think Chaim spoke about it, and if not Michael. But I, this week, uh, when I got the prayer focus, and I think we have some here today. Well, I think I saw you got one, Steve, prayer focus. Um, one of the items in that prayer focus I'll read to you says that we're asking for prayer or asking for a confirmation of this uh, with our congregation. It says, May Yeshua continue to grow our understanding of chesed, which is grace, by way of his covenant committed loyal love. All of us need to learn more fully what chesed is, how to receive it, and how to share it. May Yeshua teach us to be conduits of this important covenant value. Conduits just mean you know, something that something else runs through. May we be the thing that God's chesed runs through. May we learn 
how to do it. That's our prayer. This is not scripture I'm reading, but I thought it was very apropos that it was in the, uh, the prayer focus this week because I believe that Paul is uh, speaking about you know, this idea that maybe we uh, despise sometimes these things that are really the root of the power of the gospel, God's righteousness, which is his chesed in a, in a very real sense. Um, I have, a, I have a, I told you about one friend earlier. I actually have more than one. I have another friend. That's always my joke when someone says, oh, I got to tell you this story. You won't believe this. I got this friend. I say, you don't have a friend. Come on, that's hilarious. That's ridiculous. Anyways, I got this friend. His name is Fred. And uh, Fred lives out in Maryland. He works for another company that I work for out there. And he, he visited this past week. But Fred, um, he grew up, you know, in the choir and in the youth group and in his congregation, his church and stuff. And he is not there anymore, believe me. But he's a good guy. He really is a good guy. In fact, you know, he... Um, I think it was about two, two years ago, maybe, or three. I can't. Anyways, several years ago, he, uh, I, I actually watched him. I mean, I watched him do a lot of things. that are just amazing to me. But he, uh, he has younger brothers, about 18 months younger than him, or maybe even 17, real close. So a really close younger brother who uh, really went off on a, on a real tangent path. Fred pretty much tra- stayed straight and narrow. And uh, this guy, you know, he, his younger brother, you know, he uh, had, I think, four or five kids from about three different women, and he you know, was tied up with all these child support payments that he just put off, you know, and was one of these delinquent dads. And he, uh, eventually that all caught up with him in a, in a real big way. And he was just smoking, you know, they say, what's it, they say you used to smoke like he's on fire, drink like he's trying to put it out. You ever heard that, you know, smoke? So that's the kind of guy he was. And so he, uh, he got to a point where he, he just couldn't keep things juggling anymore. And, and Fred's, Fred's got a wife and six kids, and he, but he took this guy in. Took his, this guy took his brother into his house, and uh, his brother didn't have a car, couldn't get insurance. And every he was a welder, but could make good money. But every job he got, the garnishments from these child support payments were coming out, and it was just he was in a bad way. Well, he, he Fred took him in, and uh, and his brother turned out his brother was pretty sick. He actually ended up like stage three or four lung cancer. And Fred orchestrated this guy's kids to come see him. And I know your dad's not been, but he's going to die. You need to come see your dad. Did all these these kind of things, and his, his little brother uh, ended up actually dying in his arms in his own house. And, and Fred would give me these updates day by day, and, and to this day, I mean, I still, when I see Fred, I, I say, hey, Pastor Fred, how you doing? Like, I call him Pastor Fred, and he laughs because he knows what I'm doing, and he, <laughs> I know that he's not in any church or anything like that, but he, he does these duties like, like a pastor, you know? And uh, one day we were in the car talking, and uh, this was actually right before I was going to be going to seminary and stuff, and he so we started talking about God, and he, he, I think, somehow I asked, was able to find out, what's the hang-up, Fred? What, what is the big hang-up? You know, what is it you're opposed to, and so forth? And he told me, so you know what, here, here, here's what it is. He was real straightforward about it. He said, I just, I just have a problem when I see people who are, you know, dishonest, bad people, and they make a profession of faith, and they're going to heaven, and I know there's other people that are really good people, and, and they're not, and, but you're telling me, you know, you're, they're not going to go to heaven. And he just, he couldn't square that with anything. Um, now, I, we, we all know that, and I think we would all agree that the, the, the image that he gives there, the description that Fred gives there, is a, uh, it's a very caricaturized description of the gospel, very superficial, and, you know, and that's not just you make a profession of faith and you're, you know, you're squared away and that kind of, we know that we could talk about that. Um, that would be kind of a cheap grace and so forth. However, um, I think this is a real stumbling block, and not just for Fred, but for many of us. 
And the stumbling block being, namely, that we are not willing to extend mercy and grace to people where, where in the places that God would be. And I think that's really the, the stumbling block. We just wouldn't be willing to go where he goes in terms of his mercy and his grace. You know, we want to see God exhibit his power by way of crushing injustices, <laughs> you know, uh, bringing to judgment the perpetrators of injustice, the things we read about here right before chapter 2 when you read this in context. I mean, there's some pretty sort of ugly stuff about sexual relations that are talked about earlier, but then you kind of, you know, you can say, well, I'm not doing that stuff. But then we get into these other things about envy and hate and mur- murder and foolishness, okay? You know, we're, we're, none of us will probably escape any of, when we read this whole list. Um, but, but we want to see God crush those kind of things and bring those perpetrators of those things to justice, right? Now, I'm not advocating that we be uh, lukewarm or what's called, you know, mealy-mouthed or Casper milk toast, whatever you want to call it, meek, you know, meek and mild kind of thing when it comes to important things, okay? I'm not, I'm not advocating that at all. Of course, we need to stand boldly for the things that God stands for. We need to, uh, you know, a lot of, when, when many in our world are, are caving into pressure, and believe me, pressure of the world's always coming against things that God stands for. We need to be strong on those things. The Bible's also clear that there will be a day of reckoning, a judgment day. And even in this passage, it talks about it as well. So I'm not advocating being lukewarm, but what I am suggesting, and what I believe Paul is also suggesting, excuse me, is that our, our desire for that day and our desire to see that is a bit skewed and it's a bit out of proportion. Um, let's not forget that when judgment day comes, uh, there'll be a lot of people that are going to die. People that you might know. Could be family, could be friends. Could be some really good people, like Fred, <laughs> who I think is a really good, good person, you know? So in other words, seeing God's judgment in that way, I think really should not be our desire. And that's where I think verse 4b comes in, where Paul gives us the alternative, the option that I think God wants us to take when we look at these things that go on in the world and maybe we don't agree with and so forth. And again, the second half of verse 4 says, Do you not realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? In other words, what Paul is saying is that it's not God's judgment and punishment, uh, which should be the focus of our lives, but God's mercy and his goodness. Psalm 36, I'll read that to you. It says, Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your judgments are like the great deep. You save humans and animals alike, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. All people may take refuge in the shadow of your wings. In the, in the words of the psalmist, I think we see here really the mode of operation of God. Chaim talked about it several weeks back, this idea, you know, uh, of uh, spiritual cleansing versus ethnic cleansing, and people want to really focus on that ethnic cleansing piece. And what Chaim brought to our attention is, look, that's not really the, the standard operating procedure of God per se. That's the one that gets a lot of press. But more, more than that, uh, it's that, you know, his salvation comes by way of his love. In this passage here in Psalm, it's, that's the word chesed there again. Uh, his faithfulness, you know, his, his uh, truthfulness. And that's the way in which we see his deliverance and his salvation. It's the same thing that Paul's saying here in, chapter, in verse 4, that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, not the threat of 
death necessarily. And while we tend to get focused on the riches of his truth and his wisdom, and we, you know, especially here, you know, even at a congregation like ours, you know, we, we look at the biblical feast days and we see these amazing signs of the, the holy days, and we get very excited, and I think, and focused on those kind of things, these truths and wisdom and uh, this kind of stuff, that really he wants us to get focused on his goodness. In verse 7, in, uh, verse seven of this chapter here in Romans chapter 2, verse 7, uh, I'll just read part of it to you. It says, to those, this is the blessings that, to those who by patiently doing good, he will give eternal life. And verse 10 says, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. So we've got this idea of doing good and the one who does good. In the one case, the one who's doing good will give eternal life. The one who does good, glory and honor. These are very broad terms, by the way. This is kind of like the Hebrew equivalent of tov, you know. It's sort of like it's good. And we can, as Chaim says, there's a lot of room we can drive through. What is that about? And we can define those words. But he says, look, this isn't all that complicated, really. Again, should we stand up for certain things? And I saw a lot of head nodding before, and I agree, absolutely. Should we seek to direct the lost to God? Yes. Should we seek to lovingly and patiently bring people back in line with fundamental doctrines? Did I emphasize that? Fundamental, sorry. Fundamental, mainstream doctrines, okay? Bring people in line with fundamental doctrines. If you're wondering what I'm talking about and you're lost, ask me later. Yes, we should. But we need to spend more time pursuing God's goodness and less time pursuing perfection and correctness uh, amongst ourselves as well as, as well as others. Because in the end, goodness trumps judgment. And this, I think, also is part of being chosen. We talked about being chosen you know, weeks ago and what Israel's chosenness means to us and so forth. But this is part of it. Colossians 3.12 says that as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with Justice, no. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. It's Colossians 3. As God's chosen ones, to clothe yourself with those things. Again, chosen people are not necessarily uh, chosen in order to root out evil or to try to set people straight, but chosen to spread, uh, spread a message of God's goodness, which leads to repentance, what Paul says in chapter 2. That's the thing that leads you to repentance is his goodness. To put on display the goodness of God, not the judgment of God. Because again, goodness trumps judgment. I have, or I had, you guys actually have with you. I was going to hold this, pretend this is it. You have our purpose statement in, the, in your bulletin about CYT. You don't have to look at it right now, but look over that, you know. Look at the purpose of CYT. It's, it's not about, we don't exist to correct theology, <laughs> you know. But we, we are about... Uh, about raising people up. And I think at Yeshua Tzion, we want to be about God's goodness, the goodness that leads to salvation. And what's the Hebrew word for salvation? Yeshua. That's what, that's what we want to be about. So let's pray. Avinu Malkenu, our Father and our King, Lord, just thank you for the revelation of your existence. Yes, we thank you for for knowing that you exist. And we thank you for under, the understanding of your plan of salvation, for, for helping us to, to, to respect, and, and, and not more than respect, but to really uh, seek you through your word and through prayer. And we, Lord, we also help, uh, ask you to help us to understand your goodness, your kindness, and your compassion. Help us to avoid the, the undue judgment of others, Lord. 
and help us to be witnesses to those around us of your goodness. And may that example, Lord, that may that example lead people to repentance and acceptance of you, Lord. In Yeshua's name, amen.